go interact with the website. And again, I, I have been shocked the number of times I've gone into a company and said, why do you have a website? Or, you know, what, what does it feel like to use your website? I don't know. I've never used our website. I'm like, okay, well, why does your company have a website? I don't know. I guess to collect leads, but I don't know. How do you not know? Your job is to fundamentally understand how people are using your website. Shouldn't you know the purpose of that? Wouldn't that help guide? Welcome to 33 Tangents, a weekly podcast featuring a rotating panel of co-hosts that all work together in the same company, but live in different areas of the world. The discussions cover a wide variety of topics from digital analytics to working remotely to current happenings in business and technology. Our regular day-to-day conversations often go off in various directions, and the goal of this podcast is to share our ideas and find new ways to engage with others. go we are all right live. we are live so what is going on uh, i'm on my like second or third coffee of the morning mm-hmm. uh, i fell i fell asleep at like nine o'clock last night and i think i like that is amazing it just came through i love it <laughs> did that show up That's on awesome. camera He's a he's a nervous child, and he unfortunately gets that from me, and that means during school he has a hard time, kind of focusing and sitting still, and so he got this little Yoda character with all these little push things that he can push and like the kind poppers. Of keep, yeah, so he, it came today, and he's super excited about it. Those things are actually quite therapeutic. Yeah, yeah. They're fun and therapeutic. He, he has another stress ball. It's usually in here in the office. Um, he's like, I really like this because when I'm stressed, this just makes me feel good. Nice. <laughs> like, awesome. That's awesome. Uh, I, so, I showed you my, my fidget. Yeah, yeah. Before, right? Yeah. All the different buttons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're awesome. I And I usually have something in here I'm fidgeting around with while we're, we're shooting. And it's usually like this, like a pick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's some, got something in my hand that I'm always fidgeting with. So I can't remember what I was saying before that happened. Um, what were we talking about? Uh, we were talking about coffee. Oh, coffee on like the third. So I fell asleep at like nine o'clock last night. And I must have slept funky because I woke up at 4.30 and my neck was just like, oh, which made my head hurt. And I'm like, mm-hmm. Well, coffee will fix that. So, and I'm digging the cold brew, man. I got these nice. cool little these cool little cups to make it in. Sweet. So that is that. Um, what else? Sent a package to Randy, and apparently, I sent it to his old address. And so we had a whole uh, fiasco about trying to get the package rerouted to his new address. So that was fun. Nice. I wish we had DHL. I'm not. I'm not going to throw the shipper under the bus, but it was not a good uh, experience. I think I know who it was. Yeah. Yeah, and they're crap. Yeah, just not good. I mean, they say it's super easy to do all this stuff, but then you try to do stuff, and it's not super easy at all. No. So, anyway, I don't know. Lots of that. What about you? Ready to uh, roll into Thanksgiving here? Yep. Yep. Um, so this episode isn't going to air until 
December, so it's going to be a couple of weeks from now. But yeah, we're recording right before Thanksgiving, and I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking yeah. forward to to the long weekend um, and uh, just just honestly just shutting down for a few days and, and yeah. relaxing. Yeah, me too. Me too. I think I have a couple couple calls after this. Couple items on my to do list to get done, and uh, I just want to go sit on the couch. I'm lighting the fire pit tonight. Yeah. How many times have you used it? Uh, I've used it a bunch. Yeah. Um, I'm looking forward to it. It's one of the um, solo stoves. Yeah. It's the smaller one. But it's nice. Like uh, It's easy, e- easily portable. Sometimes I'll set it up on the front of the house. Sometimes Tonight I'm going to do it on the side of the house with the projector up. And just sit outside, light the fire pit, watch some hockey, and and just enjoy it. Be the coolest guy on the block. Yeah, make warmest guy on the block. <laughs> that sounds fun. Yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm, I'm just yeah, I'm ready for a nice little break and things hopefully to slow down for a little bit. Yep. Because I don't know how the hell it's Thanksgiving already this year. It's crazy. This year it's has crazy. flown by. Yeah. <laughs> it really has. I, I have all my to do list like stuff that I haven't even started yet for the year. I'm like, I had good intentions. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was looking at that like two weeks ago and I'm like, I guess I'm bumping that one to 2022. Yeah. Yeah. It happens. It's okay. It's been a weird couple of years. So yeah. Yep. All right. So I guess let's go ahead and dig into our topic. Um, it's one more look at the, um, the overall B2B versus B2C topic we've been covering the, the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Uh, last week, we talked more on the technical solution design instrumentation side of things of what should someone consider with B2B versus B2C. Today, I want to talk more on the analysis and insight side of things um, with that. So what should a digital analyst think about when working with B2B or working within a company that has B2B and B2C sister sites. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, so lots of places we can go here. I would say from experience, one of the most important things as an analyst is to understand your business. Um, Yes. It's interesting because I was on a, I was on a call with a prospect just yesterday and we were talking about a potential project. um, And I said, Hey, we're going to need, at least eight weeks to do this. Like, whoa, we were hoping two to three weeks we'd get this done. I'm like, yeah, I mean, for sure you can have someone that will commit to doing that for you in three weeks. I I won't because I know that you're not going to be able to get our best, most valuable insights in that time period. Um, And the reason for that is that we feel that it is critically important to understand the businesses that we're, we're analyzing. And it's so easy to kind of pull out a playbook and say, well, you're in this vertical or you're this type of business, or I worked in retail. So I'm going to use that lens and lay over that. Um, Sure. I think all the inputs and experience you bring kind of help you as an analyst to create a better product. Um, But the biggest thing and the biggest mistake we see companies make is analysts unwilling or maybe unwilling isn't the right word. They don't realize how important it is to think about the business. It's just 
ones and zeros. It's just data, right? I, I analyze the data and it is what it is. Um, and I, I don't think that's the right way to think about analysis. I think the right way to think about analysis is to take a much broader perspective. And a huge part of that is understanding the nuances of the business that you're analyzing. That's part of being a great analyst. And, and so I would, you know, from an analyst perspective, thinking about B2B, number one, if your experience is elsewhere, shift your perspective, because again, we've seen far too many examples of analysts saying, well, this is how we did things in B2C, so I'm going to analyze it like that in B2B. And, and a great example is just the conversion funnel. Um, the way that you look at a conversion funnel on a B2C site is vastly different from how you look at it on a B2B site. Most B2C, and there are some longer tails, but it's a fairly short period of time that you're looking to convert. On B2B, it's typically much, much longer. And so trying to use the same perspective, consumer to business, you're, you're setting yourself up to, to, to fail in, in your analysis. So looking at things from a business perspective is, is critically, critically important. And I would say before you solve that, um, don't go chasing all your North Star metrics, KPIs, that should come second. The first thing is fundamentally shift your mindset and learn as much about the business that you're analyzing. And then let's start understanding, okay, what is our North Star metric? What are our KPIs? What things should we be thinking about from an uh, analysis perspective um, when looking at a B2B brand? So let, let's dig in there for a second. You know, you were talking about under understanding the business. Um, what are some examples of things people can do to make sure that they have a solid understanding of, of the business. Um, you know, let, let, let's take like working client side for the moment. Let, let's take yeah. consulting out of it for a second. You're work, you're, you're an analyst, you know, at one of these brands, you're working client side, you're brought in, you know, you're going to do like, you know, some of the normal onboarding, but what are, based on your experience, what are some things that you as, as a new employee, as someone brought in to work on this, should really make sure that they're doing to make sure that they have a full understanding of the business before jumping feet first into this? It's the same recommendation that I give regardless of the vertical that, that people work in. And that is as much as possible, immerse yourself into the business as the consumer, as, as the buyer. And for some businesses, that's easier said than done. Um, but that should be the goal. As much as possible, put yourselves in the shoes of your potential customer or a current customer. And it is amazing how few analysts actually do that. So if I go to work for a B2B company and we're selling, uh, let's say we're selling some kind of a high-end item, we don't even purchase online. So our goal as a B2B company with our digital presence is really to build brand awareness, to educate and ultimately drive qualified leads. Then as a new hire, I should go through that process. I should put myself in the shoes of a potential customer and start reading about the brand, start consuming the content on the website. And then yeah, yeah actually go through the lead flow. Um, and I would say as much in as much as you can do it as if you were a customer and I, you know, we don't necessarily want to take time away and kind of play games with the sales team, but I think there's immense value to that. 
you know, fill out the form as if you're a customer, interact with the sales team a bit, um, because it is going to give you an incredible insight into what your potential customers are going through. And with that knowledge, it will then help you understand how you want to think about how you structure your analysis, how you structure your reporting. And again, you know, I know we're talking about B2B here, but that same advice would be true regardless of the business that you work in. I've over the years um, working with lots and lots of different companies, I've been amazed at finding analysts, finding implementers, finding anyone really in an analytics role that literally has no idea how their website works or how their mobile app works. It, they, they understand it. Well, they go from A to B to C. It's like, well, have you ever gone through and actually bought a product off the website? Well, no. You know, it's like, how, how, do, you, how do you know what to measure? How do you know how, how to properly analyze things? You know, you can only go so far without having a, an understanding of how it works. And again, that's one of the things that I, I really drive with, with our team is that it is important um, to put yourself in the shoes of the buyer. It, it just fundamentally changes how you think about things. One of the stories um, that I love talking about, because I think it so illustrates the point, and this was very early on, um, maybe year two of 33 Sticks. Um, we signed a new customer, uh, a retail customer. Um, it was Cost Plus World Market. Um, had a website and then brick and mortar stores. And um, they hired us to analyze uh, a specific challenge they were having. And the challenge they were having was... Um, why does it seem like we're struggling cart value on the website compared to what consumers are buying in store? Um, it would have been so easy just to sit down and dive into the data, but we put ourselves into the shoes of the consumer. We used the website. Not only that, we went into cost plus world market stores and wandered around and bought things and interacted with this lab. Like that puts you in the right mindset to, to analyze data. Um, I think it's been long enough. I could probably share the insights of that analysis, which were very interesting. And, and what we found is that when we took a broader perspective and took the stores into consideration of our analysis and not just the website, what we found was a correlation um, in average, not necessarily cart value, but average item price in the cart um, changed, went down as you got further and further away from a brick and mortar store. And what we found was, is that items like couches, chairs, bigger ticket items, uh, the further away from a store that you lived, the less likelihood you were to buy that online. And what we found was, is that it was something to do with the return policy. These are, this is a piece of, you know, I'm sitting in a chair, I've never sat in it before. It looks great, but I may not like it. But if I don't, if you don't make it easy for me to understand that I can return it and here's how easy it's going to be, I'm not going to buy it. And so anyway, we may never have uncovered that gem had we not, you know, kind of taken this broader perspective of putting ourselves into the shoes of the ultimate buyer. And again, that's a consumer model, B2C model, but the same thing applies regardless of what vertical that you're working in. You have to find a way to feel what it's like to be a customer. And one other quick example of this, completely unrelated, but I think where the seed was set for this, and at the time, 
I was so incredibly upset that this was a thing, but you know, 20 years later, I'm so glad that I went through the experience because it planted the seed of the importance of feeling what it feels like to be a customer of your business. My first job out of college, software engineer, um, writing code for uh, another business unit. Um, and my boss had this throttle mechanism on our internet speed in the office. And oftentimes he would throttle that thing down to stupid levels of slow. And it was so frustrating and annoying. Um, and it's at one point in time it boiled over. It's like, we can't work like this. You know, we're being inefficient. And he said, none of your customers have the internet speed that you're, that you have the luxury of having in the office. And if all you know is this internet speed and you're using that perspective to build your software, you're not building the software that is going to be useful and meaningful and provide a great experience for your customers. And that it just hit me. And then flash fast, fast forward, you know, to being an analyst, it's still held true, right? If I'm not, if I'm not feeling what it's like to be a customer, how can I ever produce really high quality analysis without feeling what it's like to be a customer that I'm trying to analyze? Sorry, that was a lot of long-winded babble all over the place. No, no, no. It was great. I was curious where you were going with uh, the throttled internet speed. Um, I, I was not expecting that outcome because you had not told me that that story before. Yeah, and it's, you know, it was, again, you know, I think it applies, right? Finding ways to feel like what it feels like to be a customer. And it was such a brilliant move by my my boss at the time, even though at the time we all hated it that he knew that if we were not putting ourselves in the shoes of the customer, that we were developing software without really understanding what their needs were. And the same is true as from an analysis perspective, if we're not truly putting ourselves in the shoes of the customer, and that's, that's twofold as analysis, as an analyst, that's the people that we're delivering the results to and to the consumers that we're analyzing, we have to find a way to feel what it feels like to be in their shoes so we can put together a proper product that is going to meet the needs of, of what uh, we've been asked to do. Mm-hmm. Um, have you come across a situation where somebody didn't take the time to do that and resulted in some really, really bad insights? For sure. I, I mean, I think we've done that early on um, before we've, before we got to a point where we really, had a framework for how we wanted to think about analysis, I would say it was probably year one of being in business. I, I remember a very specific event and this, this changed the way we, we structure our engagements. And, you know, we're talking about it from a consulting perspective, but the same thing applies if I'm on the client side as well. Um, is that in fact, you know what, I'll, I'll use an example prior to that. So when I was on client side doing analysis, um, I was asked to do an analysis on um, how, so I worked for an online dating company. I was asked to do an analysis on um, the, um, the conversion rate of our free members to paid subscribers. And I went away for like two or three weeks and I did this incredibly deep analysis, very detailed, put together what I thought was this beautiful uh, presentation that walked through my findings and, um, I presented it to the executive team and they're like, this is all wrong. Did you not consider blah, 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 blah. I'm like, no, like, 
well, all you had to do was ask us about that like day one and we, that would have completely changed the outcome of, of what you're trying to do. So, you know, I, I, I've been guilty of that a lot. We as a company were guilty of that very early on, um, you know, making that mistake. And, and again, I think it's okay to make that mistake as long as you're being open in your steps. Um, the problem is, is oftentimes an, analysts hide it. And, and we've seen that where an analyst will come in and say, well, this is how we analyze things at this financial service company I work for. I'm like, okay, but now you work for a hotel. So this is a completely different model. And they use that framework. It was wrong. And with this specific example, luckily we grabbed them before they presented it to the CMO, but we called out and said like, all these calculations are wrong. This is not how you look at it in hospitality. You know, you're using a model that is simply incorrect here. Um, so Thankful we, we caught it. I think a lot of times people don't catch it. And to me, that that's concerning from two perspectives. One, as analysts, we may be misinforming or misleading our stakeholders. Um, and just as bad, probably, if no one catches it and no one cares, then it's it's reflective of how much analytics actually matters to the organization, right? Oftentimes, like, and, I'll, and I'll give you an example. We had an example of this with a client where I was sitting uh, in a meeting where um, some numbers were being talked about uh, from the conversion funnel. I said, you know, by the way, raise my hand. Uh, that number isn't right. So I would be really cautious on any kind of business decisions you make around that. Um, do you want to take a guess at what the executive said to me? I don't know because you're on mute, but I, I almost read your lips. Mm -hmm. um, we've already been making business decisions based on that. So don't change it. Don't no, we it. don't. No, we don't use the data anyway, so it's not. Really uh, big exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, you're killing me. As an aside note, I have been in more than one meeting where we present findings. This is flipping to the instrumentation side of things. Where we present findings where we're saying the data is bad, we need to correct it, and it's scary that I've heard more than once. Like, we've already made decisions based on this. So we don't want to change it. I, this is going down a tangent. And then I'm going to come back and talk about what specific metrics and stuff an analyst should be thinking about. But um, going down and continuing that thought, um, one company I worked with was in that same boat where they said, we knew the data was wrong. We've already been making decisions off of it. So what we're going to do, and, and this came up because, because I said, you're, you're capturing this data you're capturing is incorrect. They're like, no, it's correct. I'm like, no, it, it's it's really incorrect. Let me show you a picture of how it's incorrect. No, no, we know that. It's That's on, on purpose. I'm like, why is that on purpose? Well, a mistake was made a while ago, and that's how it was coded to collect the data. And we've been reporting on it that way. So rather than fix it, we're keeping the mistake moving forward in perpetuity so that we have consistency in how we report on that data. Like, uh, we have so much work to do. <laughs> we have so much work to do. There was a project you and I were on several years ago where we fixed something and they asked us to refix it. I don't remember that one. Okay. I'll, I'll remind you afterwards. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to yeah. name it here, but yeah, there was a, there was a situation where they, they wanted us to, um, keep the issue in place or put the issue back in place yeah. because it changed the number so drastically that they couldn't go to their executive team and say, yeah, the data has been this bad and here's that what the numbers actually are. 
topic for another show. Another show. Another show. <laughs> Top topic for maybe the, the day when we pivot away from analytics consulting and we have a different business model and we share all of the stories that we shouldn't be sharing right now. <laughs> yes. Maybe that's the tell-all book in the future. Yep. Um, so let's talk about as an analyst. So I'm hired as an analyst to think about a B2B business. You know, number one. I got to put myself in the shoes of our, our customer. I have to understand why our, why our website exists. Why, why do we even have this? And by the way, I've asked that question before. And sometimes I've been told, well, I don't know. <laughs> so again, you know, the fundamental basic questions and things you should be doing have nothing to do with data or analysis. It's just, why do we have a, why do, why do we even have a website? Why do we even have a mobile app? What do our customers do when they're on it? As, you know, what should I be doing? Once you've done that, let's let's think about what we should be looking at from a from an analysis perspective. The I think the easy oh man, hold on. I'm not going to talk about this on air, but this just made me potentially giddy. Okay. Uh oh. <laughs> um, um, so the easy place to start is obviously the the lead funnel. You know how many how many people are starting our lead form? How many people are completing our lead form? And sure, like if we have if we have no insights or no analysis in place, we should absolutely understand how many people are starting our lead funnel. How many people are completing it? But it's so much more nuanced than that. And I'm going to maybe position it back to you because you're you're very analytical, but your day-to-day -day is not an, an analyst by trade. You're more of an architect and thinking more broadly. So if I threw you in as a B2B analyst and, you, and I asked you to think about our conversion funnel, what things outside of that funnel would you be thinking about? How are we bringing people to the site? Mm-hmm. You know, like how, how are we driving it there? So if we're say, let, let's go with an online B2B retailer um, or no, let, let, let's keep with, with, with the lead form um, that you were talking about. Not, 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 let's not take it away from that, but how are we bringing people to the site? You know, as B2B, are we, do we have people cold calling based off of some kind of sales list that's been generated? Yep. Do we have online marketing? that is is targeting certain cer certain personas certain you know is it the the office buyer is it is it you know procurement is it somebody like that how are we bringing people to the site um or do, do we have just mailings like you know do, are, are you also just sending physical mailers out so once you understand how are people coming is there a way to identify if they're they're actually qualified or not? See, Instead of just looking at the the raw data of you know, say people, oh, someone was presented with the form, they completed it, etc. You see, you are an analyst. Um, absolutely, that's the first place that I would start, and I and I think about it from a segmentation perspective uh, because this is a very real world problem that that we see in B2B companies. One of the first things that I do or that we do when we go in uh, and we talk with companies that are in B2B and we talk with their analysts, I say, I ask them, I say, you know, can you tell me about your lead funnel? 
and they say, well, you know, our conversion rate is X or it's not very good. Or, you know, we're just, we're having a hard time understanding our conversion funnel. I'm like, well, talk to me about the process that you're going through to analyze that. Well, at a minimum, we look at people that hit the lead form and then complete the lead form. We also like to start further upstream and just say how many people come to the website, then look at the form, then com then convert. But we can't really make sense of it. I'm like, yeah, you're never going to make sense of it looking at it like that. It's so much more nuanced than that. Um, so what we need to be thinking about is the intentionality of the people that are coming to our website. So we can start with how are we pushing them to their site? To your point, are they coming from a paid campaign? Are we dropping them on a specific landing page? Um, perhaps we're, we have a drip campaign going on and this is like fourth in a series of eight emails that they're coming back to the site from. Um, you know, perhaps they're working with a rep and the rep said, Hey, great question. Here's a link to, uh, some documentation that answers that exact question. So they go to that page. Um, or maybe it's none of the above. Maybe it's people that are coming to the site. And this is, again, taken from a real world example. Two cases where um, two types of visitors segments we identified where we're adding a lot of noise to the analysis of the lead funnel. And that was uh, people coming to the site that were investors or looking for investor information. They were never going to fill out a lead form and job candidates coming to the site looking at job openings or researching the company um, for open positions. Um, in this one specific example I'm thinking of, that population was included in the entire population of people that were expected to complete a lead form. And they were never going to start a lead form. That wasn't their purpose for being on the site. So um, once we've put ourselves in the shoes of the, the, the customer, once we've gone through the physical flow and actually used the website ourselves, as an analyst, we should be thinking, what are our key segments that I should be thinking about? And again, I think you listed a lot of great ones. What what landing pages are they coming in on? What paid campaigns are they coming in on? What, what other campaigns, again, drip campaigns, because B2B is often a long tail sales cycle. Um, what campaigns? Is it a drip campaign? Um, is it they're coming from offline because a um, sales rep pushed them to the website? Are they people that are looking for other information about the company that aren't even potential customers? So, you know, really start there. It's bugging me that my headphone cord is swinging. Sorry. Um, start there. You know, what are what are the segments of, of our customers? Because looking at it at a high level of, well, we have a lead form conversion rate of 3%. That really doesn't tell us anything. Where are these buyers in their journey? Where did they come from? Where did they land on? That's going to tell you a lot more, right? Uh, especially if we are looking at things from a session perspective. Not every session is designed, especially in B2B, not every session is designed to convert to a lead in that session. Again, it could be we're maturing a lead down a path. Maybe we're maturing a future lead down a path. Um, there's so many different things that can be done on a B2B website that are outside of filling out a form, but it's the most visible in your face thing as an, and as an analyst, it's probably the thing you're being asked about the most. Um, and so I think it's a trap to just look at it as, okay, well, let's analyze the, the effectiveness of our form. I'm not saying that isn't important, 
but without understanding the intention and where buyers are in that journey, you're really not coming up with insights that are going to help inform how to make that experience better for your prospect. Mm-hmm. And I think some of the things that you just listed off really do tie back to where we started with was understanding the business. Why is the website, you know, why did, you know, very general questions. Why is the website in existence? How are we driving qualified candidates to, to the site? And then like, what are other sections of the site that can identify if someone is not a, a qualified lead? You know, I don't want to beat this into the ground, but it is such a, <laughs> it is such an important topic because it just is missing in so many organizations. And it, look, I, I, I don't want people to feel bad. I'm not calling people out. I'm not saying you're doing a bad job, um, but it is so ubiquitous that it is important for us to kind of rehash this again. If, if as an analyst, if as an implementer, if I'm not taking the time to understand my B2B business or any business, then I'm really not doing the best job that, that I could be doing, especially as an analyst. It's not just opening up Google Analytics and running some reports and, and, and throwing some segments on it. That's part of being an analyst. Another part of it is just being insanely curious. And, and that curiosity should lead you to go interact with the website. And again, I, I have been shocked the number of times I've gone into a company and said, why do you have a website? Or, you know, what, what does it feel like to use your website? I don't know. I've never used our website. I'm like, okay, well, why does your company have a website? I don't know. I guess to collect leads, but I don't know. How do you not know? Your job is to fundamentally understand how people are using your website. Shouldn't you know the purpose of that? Wouldn't that help guide your your discovery and journey as a as an analyst? But again, I, I think I think unfortunately, especially we see this especially in digital analytics, is that what we call analysis is is really reporting. You um, just took what I was going to say. Okay, so sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. No, no, you no, you no, go. No, like where you were going, I, it, it, it's, it's, it's the conversation I've had with a couple clients and a few prospects recently trying to differentiate between reporting and analysis, you know, reporting, let, let's call it what it is in, in some t- reporting is a lot of stuff that you can automate. Uh, analysis to me, the core thing there is, is there's curiosity reporting it's easy to produce results analysis mm-hmm. takes time it takes curiosity it takes questions but yes like what where where, where you were going is exactly that and we see this problem a lot a lot um it's companies have this you know it, you know it, it's the same thing with implementation we've talked about it before they you know someone reaches the certain point and then they don't move beyond it and they're constantly implementing same thing with actually using the data they get to a certain point with reporting that they don't take the next two steps, which is analysis insights and then ultimately data activation. Yeah. Actually using the data, they get stuck in this reporting piece and they think that they're doing analysis when, yeah, what they're doing is just saying, this is what happened. And I'm going to tell you again next week, what happened this week. And it's unfortunate because it, it's a huge problem that we face and we've set the expectation that that is analysis. And again, 
you know, I talk to prospects where they say, we want you to come in and look at X. I'm like, awesome. We can do that. Here's how long it's going to take. Well, we talked to this other company and they said they can have an analysis for us ready in two to three days. I'm like, go for it. That's, they're going to give you a report. That's not an analysis. So do you want, do you want, do you want us to come in and run some reports on your existing data and put it in a fancy container? I mean, we can do that. I'm not going to, but we could, but what you're, what I think you're asking for is you want someone to analyze this portion of your business. That's going to take a lot more time than me coming in and running a report on your analytics platform. I need to understand your business. I need to understand your digital properties. If you have a offline component, I need to talk to those people. I need to go into your stores. Like if you want to have a true analysis done of this piece of your business, it takes time to do that. And it's not going to be done in two to three days. And so I think, you know, one, we've set unproper expectations um, and we've kind of continued that on. And, you know, we can have a whole discussion about this, but calling reporting analysis is very, very problematic. So anyway, back back to that, I think um, looking at things from a why do we have a property? What's the purpose of our digital property? And what are the key segments of people and where are they in the journey? Um, I mean, that's going to take you a lot of time to uncover. So that's not something you're going to do in a weekend. So, you know, that's that's going to take a big chunk of time to, to understand. Once you get there, um, I think the next thing as an analyst to think about is what I would call intense signals. So once we understand where people are in the journey, can we then go one level down and start to understand from their consumption patterns what, how close they are to moving to the next piece of the journey? And can we potentially help provide a path to get them there a bit more smoothly? And so that by that, what I mean is, can we start to understand frequency, content consumption, and other signals that they may provide us to understand that, okay, that this customer or this potential customer is really, really close to filling out a form. Or let's say they've already filled out a form and they're coming back to the site, which we see a lot, again, as part of drip campaigns and sales campaigns, filling out the form isn't the end all be all. The site continues to support the sales journey. Um, the form is just the really topmost part of the funnel. So once they filled out a form, do we have a way to then understand and pass that information along to the offline team? And we have a client in publishing, Jim, that I we worked on a project several years ago where we did just that, where we looked at the consumption patterns of folks that were already in the system, but were being worked by a sales rep coming back to the site to consume data that we were then able to analyze and then feed back to the sales team saying, okay, you know, this person is really close to purchasing or this person is showing strong intent to look at this type of a product or this type of solution, things that the sales team never had visibility into before. So that's when it really gets interesting and fun and highly valuable as we can start to understand those intent signals and either offline feed that data to a sales team, a lead gen team or what, what have you, and then online use tools to help move people to different parts of the journey. So if we understand that, hey, they downloaded X, and if they download X, then we know they're going to get to Y. Let's help guide them that to that path. Um, that to me is the exciting part. But we can't jump there. Like we can't just jump in and say, that's what we're going to solve for without doing the previous steps. Number one, understanding the business, understanding as the actual business consumer, 
what is it like to interact with my brand? Number two, understanding um, understanding the different segments of people and where they're at in their journey. And then number three, feeding that information back in to help curate a bit better, more streamlined process to ultimately get them to a paid customer status. Yeah, I mean, I think those are really the the core pieces. I mean, that's that's the way I would. That's the yeah. way I think about it. I mean, and it's, it's a lot more nuanced and complex than that. But if you think about it just as a framework, when we work with B two B companies, that's kind of the framework that I have in mind. Yeah, and that's why I was trying to think if there was anything else that could be added to it, but I don't think so. You know, and, and if anything, it it starts to get into the nuts and bolts of each of those components. But yeah, that that's really the the. the 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 key pieces to it and yeah i've got nothing nothing more to add i was uh i was just finishing up the book you sent me the cowboy ethics book um and that that's one of the chapters as they talk about the the fact that that um in the corporate world it's kind of the anti-cowboy ethics where you you have this need to fill up space with bigger words and more explanations and they're like you don't really need to do that you know, once you've said it and you've gotten to a place, it's done, right? Yeah. Like you don't want to take away from the message by arbitrarily adding more to fill up space. Say, well, we can, we can sit here and talk for the whole hour because that's what we've got scheduled. Yeah. Cool. So I do, I think that's a good place to, to wrap up this episode as well as just wrap up the, this topic in it was general. A good, it was a good series. I really enjoyed this one. Yeah, I did. I, I like kind of starting with that 30,000 foot view and then re- really coming into it, uh, into the details um, over the course of a couple of weeks. So as I mentioned last week, I'm going to mention again, we're going to take a, a break for the next few weeks for, for the holidays um and during that time we're going to re-air a few of our favorite episodes um from the past year year and a half or so um and then we will be back with with new episodes starting in in january sounds awesome yeah it's yeah looking forward to it so and and while he's busy i i still keep getting people hitting me up about when john's going to make a return to the the podcast so we got to pencil that in for our 2022 plans. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've, I've, I've let them know. So and I, just freaked I, my, and I just freaked myself out by saying 2022. That is insanity. Okay. It's, it's insane. <laughs> it is absolutely insane. Yeah. yeah. I like, like we, where we started with this, I don't know how tomorrow's Thanksgiving. It's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. Cool. All right, man. Well, it was good talking and uh, we will catch everybody later. See you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of 33 Tangents. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate and review the show on your favorite podcast aggregator so others can find us. If you would like to reach us, you can do so by emailing podcast at 33sticks.com or on the web at 33tangents.33sticks.com. 33 Tangents is a production of 33 Sticks, an analytics boutique.